Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? (laughs) Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So Nicodemus had been following the teachings and the ministry of Jesus. He'd been listening to some of his sermons, I suspect, and he'd seen some of the miracles performed, but from a distance. He may have been a follower of Jesus Secretly, but he had not yet fully placed his faith and trust and confidence in Jesus Christ. As I said, he'd seen the miracles and concluded that God was with him. Remember that in the passage? We know that God is with you. He'd heard the stories of lives changed and he'd witnessed others who had abandoned the rules and regulation religion of Israel for a relationship with Jesus. And there's a world of difference between being part of a religion and being in a relationship with God the Father. As Nicodemus followed Jesus, maybe listening on the outskirts of some of the conversations, he he heard more stories about him, and, and I think he was drawn to believe. At least he was on the road to belief. And this night, this night, Nicodemus came to see Jesus. And they have this this life-altering conversation about having a relationship with God through faith and receiving eternal life as a result. Nicodemus, listen, I, I tell you the truth, Jesus said, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaims Nicodemus. How how can a man enter his mother's womb and be born again? That doesn't make any sense to me. 
So he's been following Jesus, and he's been listening hard, I think, to this unusual teaching of this new rabbi that was gaining in popularity, listening hard to his teaching, but he's, he's struggling. He's struggling to, to believe, to, to put his faith and trust in Jesus. And Jesus says, let me assure you, Nick, that unless uh, one is born of the water and spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't get in unless you're born of water and the spirit. Now, we wonder, and there's been lots of ink spilled, what, what does he mean by born of water? What does that mean? Is he talking about physical birth? What, what's he talking about? I, I think it's merely a, an, an allusion to an Old, scripture, an Old Testament scripture, which, which Nicodemus would have known because he was a student of, of the Old Testament scriptures. Likely a reference to, to Ezekiel chapter 36, where God promises to sprinkle them clean. He'll, I'll sprinkle clean water on you, he promises, and you shall be clean. I'll give you a new heart, and I'll put my spirit within you. That was a promise that was yet to be fulfilled. And, and, and when that happens, when God cleanses you, and when God gives you a new heart, and when God puts his spirit within you, that's when you are born again, but not before. That's when you're born from above. Being born again has much more to do with God's sovereign grace than it has to do with my human decision. If or when I decide to put my faith in Jesus and trust in him for forgiveness and for eternal life and for hope for the future, I can do that only because God has done his work ahead of time. God has gone before and God has prompted me by his wonderful Holy Spirit to put my faith and my trust in Jesus. He's been the one who's wooing me and prompting me to believe, and that's the only reason I can do that. So last week, we looked at a, a tax collector named Matthew, and I, I spent considerable time talking about tax collectors and why they were such hated men, because they were in the employment of their country's conquerors, the Romans, they were in bed with the Romans, and, and they, were, they were responsible, remember, for a certain quota. They had to collect a certain amount of tax from the people, and anything they could collect over and above that was theirs to keep. So it was obvious uh, to everyone that, that there was a, that system was under abuse, and, and they took advantage of it. Matthew was one of the first people that Jesus called, and he's a tax collector. How did he call him? Very simply. He said in Matthew chapter 9, after seeing Matthew sitting at the tax booth, he said to him, follow me. Two words. First word, follow. Second word, me. Follow me. A two-word invitation. Couldn't be much simpler than that. And what happens? Well, <laughs> Matthew gets up and follows him. You know, drops everything right there. He already heard. He had a, a bank of information. We don't know how much he knew at that moment, but he, he knew enough to go, okay, I'm following you. He gets up and follows, and later that day, they have a, they have a, a meal together. He sits down and reclines at table with Jesus. Jesus and Matthew and a bunch of other sinners. You can hear the serpent's hiss in that. 
all these other sinners and tax collectors who are eating together with Jesus. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the Sadducees are standing against the wall, clucking their tongues. They can't believe it. This is breaking protocol. Jesus is not supposed to be eating with the riffraff. He's supposed to be a rabbi. Rabbis don't eat with people like that. But Jesus, frankly, didn't care what they thought because he came for broken, helpless misfits like us, not righteous people who didn't think they needed a savior. So he calls Matthew to follow. Watch me. Listen to me. Take some notes. Talk to my disciples, Nick. Follow me. Matthew, Nicodemus, Garth, Susan, Kathy, follow me. And that was the extent of the first invitation. It was just so simple. But here in John chapter 3, something different is happening. Something more is happening here in John chapter 3. Something else is going on. Because Jesus begins to draw this follower named Nicodemus a little further into the circle of faith. He's inviting him to believe. Not just follow, but really believe. He draws him in with talk about the Son of Man being lifted up like the serpent in the wilderness, whatever that means. And he, and he, he draws him in by talking about salvation and eternal life and and you see, when you follow Jesus, some of, some of us, I think, may have just decided last, last week, last Sunday, I'm going to start to follow. There was a great response to the, to the teaching from God's Word last week. So, we start to follow, but when you begin to follow, I mean, eventually, maybe the maybe the first week or after the first month or who knows when it happens, but eventually, eventually when you, when you follow Jesus, Jesus begins to challenge all of your presuppositions. He begins to challenge your, your philosophy of life. Mark my word. <laughs> that will happen. If it hasn't happened already, it will. And that's a point at which many people turn, turn back. Oh, man, oh. I just thought I could add Jesus and go on my merry way. But all of a sudden, as you, as you follow, Jesus begins to challenge the very presuppositions you've built in your life. And, and many times, for many people, over many centuries, believing in Jesus, I mean, following Jesus has, has led to believing in Jesus. It's just sort of the natural flow of, of things. And they didn't just believe in certain points of doctrine or, or belief. Their, their belief was not limited to the ethics of Jesus or his philosophy or his, his, uh, his teaching style. <laughs> they didn't just believe in selected aspects of his morality or his worldview. No, they actually came to believe in the person of Jesus. They actually came to believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. They actually came to believe in him, in Christ, uh, and, and, and in time, after Jesus died and was resurrected, those early disciples came to believe in, in Jesus' death and his resurrection. They believed that he was 
who he said he was, that he's the son of God, that he's the Lamb of God who, who takes away the sin of the world. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end and everything in between. That he was the branch of Jesse and the, the, the second Adam, the one who God said would come and set his people free. They actually believed in Jesus. They came to the conclusion that he is the son of God and that he is the, the way, the truth, and the life. And you see, according to the Gospel of John, it was a, a, a process for most of these people. Not all, but for many of them, it was a process that unfolded over time. John has been called the Gospel of Belief. Because in the Gospel of John, the word believe actually appears 76 times. In just over 20 chapters, 76 times, the word belief appears in one form or another. I mean, it's, a, it's an important concept. It, it's a life-giving concept because according to the scriptures, you can't have salvation and you can't have a relationship with God without belief, without believing, without faith. John 1.12 tells us in no uncertain terms that to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So when they believed they became children of God. Isn't that what the text says? Weren't we children of God before we believed? Isn't everybody a child of God? Well, in one general sense, in a generic sense, yes. In, in one sense, we, we are. All people are created in the image of God. God is the father of every family in heaven and earth. So in that sort of general sense, yes, God is our father. But in the specific salvation sense, when we enter into this personal relationship with God, we do that only by believing. They, they believed and they became children of God, which implies they were not children of God before they believed. Right? You don't have a philosophy degree to figure that out. So, so there is a decision point. There, there is a turning point, friends. There's a, there's a defining moment when people actually believed in Jesus. I'm so grateful for Jordan's story this morning, weren't you? And he talked about having you know, parents who, who talked to him about Jesus. And at the age of four, he, he made a faith decision and put his faith in Jesus as, as much as he understood at the time. He put his faith in Jesus. But there was an unfolding. There was a, an unfurling of his life. And, and, and it took many years before he really understood what Believing in Jesus meant for him. But that was, a, that was a turning point. 13, he said, he knew it when it happened. There was another turning point, a, a, a point in time where he said, yes, I, I solidify my faith. I surrender all to Jesus. And maybe that defining moment for some of you will take place today. Maybe. There's a defining moment when people believe. They transfer their trust from whatever it is they're believing in, whatever their philosophy of life may be, to Jesus. That's a defining moment. That's a decision point. That's a turning point. You step into God's forever family. You become a child of God by believing in His name. Not by baptism. Not by Holy First Communion. Not by church membership. Not by good works. Not by giving money. Not by osmosis. You become a child of God by God's sovereign grace 
through the exercise of faith. And that has happened to a whole lot of people before us. It happens to people all the time who decide to start following Jesus because following Jesus many times leads to believing in Jesus. It happened to many people. It happened to, it happened to Nicodemus and it happened to Matthew and it happened to me and it happened to Jordan. And it's happened to many of us. You accept that simple invitation to follow. You watch him. You listen to what he says. You take notes on, on some of his sermons, the Sermon on the Mount. You observe, you make conclusions, you, you draw conclusions of your own, and you decide, yes, yes, yes. I mean, many people have done that. Just look at the, look at the scriptures, John 4, 39. Many Samaritans, they were the despised ones back in the day, but many of them believed. And John 4, 41, many more believed. John 8, 30, as he was saying these things, many believed. It's happened to countless numbers of people down through the years. They've, they've started to follow Jesus, and as a result of following, at some point in time, they believed. They received him by believing in his name. And of course, he kept saying, he kept saying things. He kept saying things, simple things, but profound things that caused people to dig a little deeper, to look a little deeper, to try and understand what it is they need or want out of life, to look in the mirror and do a, a self-assessment. Jesus kept saying these things and dropping hints all along the way. John 5, 24 is another place where he does this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. So he's, he's slipping in, in this new tidbit about judgment. Uh, yeah, you, you need to believe because if you don't, well, oop, judgment. He doesn't say much more about it than that. But you see what I mean? He just kind of drops all these little tidbits along the way throughout the Gospel of John. He keeps feeding them about faith and belief and eternal life and trust. 76 times. 76 times. 76 times in the Gospel of John alone, he talks about believe. The word appears in one form or another. 76 times. It's a very important concept. He keeps repeating it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. The parents know about that, right? You keep repeating things over and over and over again, 76 times in 20 days. And hopefully the kids get it. And I think that's where you know, God is saying, have you got it yet? 76 times they talked about belief and faith. Have you got it yet? Are you ready to believe? So, so let's go back now to John chapter 3. And let's, let's listen as, as Jesus and Nicodemus close out this conversation. It's fascinating. For God so loved the world, Nicodemus, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now, it could be because I'm just a real simple guy, but I think that's kind of simple. 
God loved you. He sent his son for you so that you could have eternal life. That's pretty simple. Since it was founded in 1995, the more than 3 billion items have been sold on the internet site eBay. 3 billion items sold on eBay alone. And then there's Amazon.com and blah, 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 and XYZ and ABC.com. You know, there's, there's thousands of them out there. But since 1995, more than 3 billion items with a capital B have been sold on eBay. If you look on eBay, if you've ever done that, you'll find some very strange things for sale. Yeah, one of our university students or former university students in the gathering actually had a business buying and selling junk on eBay. That's how he funded his, his university education, so go figure. What is one man's junk is another man's treasure. So you find some very strange things for sale on eBay, but occasionally, occasionally over the years, priceless items have found their way onto the world's largest garage sale. For example, in 1954, the great physicist Albert Einstein penned a personal letter to a philosopher friend of his in which he uh, expressed his views on morality and religion and human nature. Well, that caused a media frenzy when 60 years later, that letter was sold on eBay for $3 million. Who would sell an original letter by Albert Einstein on eBay? Go figure. That just seems crazy to me. But everybody under 20 is going, what's the deal? I mean, that's our life. A piece of rock <laughs> that, that was formed on Mars somehow crash-landed to Earth. <laughs> and apparently, a fragment of one of these Martian rocks <laughs> was auctioned away on eBay for $450,000. Yeah, not kidding, not stretching. This is not evangelistic preaching. It's true. Listen, in, two, in 2002, someone advertised on eBay the sale of an entire town that apparently needed some development work, I guess. But eventually, the town of Bridgeville, California, was actually sold on eBay for $1.25 million, and it even came with its own zip code, 95526. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> what, what, you, are you kidding me? They're selling towns on eBay now. I mean, you can, we live in a day and age when you can buy, you can buy just about anything on, 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 on the internet, can't you? You can find just about anything. You can buy just about anything on the internet, right? Except for salvation. That only, that only comes by God's grace through faith. You can't buy it anywhere. You don't deserve it. You can't manufacture it. It comes as a gift. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. God saved you by his grace. When? When you believed. And you can't take credit for this. You can't take credit for the salvation. 
And you can't even take credit for the faith because God gave you the faith in the first place to believe in Him. <laughs> Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. Wow. Imagine what that feels like. Imagine what that smells like to people who've been raised religiously all their lives. And they've had to do, 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 do all the time. Pay for this, pay for that, do this, do that. 29 Hail Marys, 46 Our Fathers, whatever the case may be. And part of that salvation gift is the forgiveness of all of our sins. Wow. In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood. What's that? The forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1.13, He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves in whom we have redemption. And the gift of redemption is modified or explained as the forgiveness of sins. So we've said that, that following Jesus often leads to believing in Jesus. And, and when you believe in Jesus, you receive eternal life and you receive forgiveness of sins and you receive hope for the future and a whole lot more. You receive the gift of salvation. And there's just a whole lot more that goes along with it. You get the full meal deal. And some of you here today are, are ready for that. You're just you're ready for that because you've been following for a while. You've been hanging out with Jesus and some of his disciples, and you've been, you've been hearing his words, and you've been following hard. You may still have some questions. You, you, you can't connect all the dots yet, but you've been following. And, and, but you've never put your faith in Jesus. I mean, you, you've, never, you've never consciously said, I believe in you, Jesus. I trust in you, Lord Jesus. I put all of my hope and my confidence and my trust for eternal life in the future and for my salvation in you, Lord Jesus. You've never done that. Well, the Bible says there's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name other than Jesus, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So how about it? I mean, God's been stirring in your heart. Uh, you've been attending church, perhaps, for a while. Maybe you're here for the first time today. This is your first foray into church. But something's going on inside. You know, maybe you've been following for a while, but you haven't yet put your faith in, in Jesus because you have some questions or some, some reservations or you're not sure your family's going to come with you or whatever. But, but here you are today, and you find yourself standing on the edge of eternity, looking in, and you see Jesus going, come, come, follow me, believe in me, trust me. And if that's the case, then why not just admit that you need a Savior? I mean, we all do, but for some reason, we're slow to admit that we need one, that we need him. So just admit it. Secondly, 
Be willing to repent of your sins. The Bible says all have sinned, so you're not, you're not alone. You're not unique. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us or cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so be willing to repent of your sins and, and confess them to God and seek his forgiveness. And then believe in Jesus. Trust in his finished work on the cross. Jesus died for us. He was buried. And on the third day, according to the scriptures, he came out of the grave alive. If you can believe in that body of truth, you can be saved, the Bible says. And then finally, just express your faith, verbalize your faith, affirm your faith by prayer. It's that simple. And you know, it will never be easier than it is right now to do that. Never be any easier than it is today, in this very moment, to put your trust, to put your confidence in Jesus. So why not? What could possibly be preventing you from receiving the greatest gift that was ever given? God, in his grace, is offering you this morning a gift to believe, to trust in him, to receive eternal life, to, to have your, all of your sins forgiven, to start brand new, uh, all over again, to have a fresh start. So why not? You've not confessed your faith in Jesus before. You've not done it in private. You've not done it in public so why not just do it today? You can, you can receive Jesus by believing in his name right where you are. Right where you are. So let's pray together, shall we? Friends, the Bible says you can be saved by trusting in Christ. Maybe expressing your, your faith, your new belief in Jesus through a simple prayer that goes something like this. And I'd invite you to pray along with me. If you're placing your faith in Jesus today for the first time. Dear Lord Jesus, I, I know that I am sinful. And I need your forgiveness. Things are broken in my life. Things just aren't right. And I need you. I believe, Jesus, that you died to pay the penalty for my sin. And so I want to turn from my sinful nature today and follow you instead. I surrender my heart and my life to you in faith. I believe in you, Lord Jesus. I believe in your death and resurrection on my behalf. And I thank you, Father, for sending Jesus as my Savior. I receive Jesus now by believing in his name. And I pray this in the very great name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. I'm going to invite our worship team to come and uh, lead us in singing one of the songs. Uh,
by my request, uh, a, a great song. We sang it earlier called Worth It All. <laughs> 